Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. Now time for some culture on Open House, our very modern careering culture of new media and social media. Our brilliant guru in this huge arena is Steve Krieger. I don't know how he keeps up with the rules. Steve, welcome back. Thanks, Lee. Great to talk as always, and lots to cover as always, Steve. And here's one of the most significant things I think I've read in a while about our online world. Does more information mean we know less that we've lost the ability to concentrate, to actually sit still and do nothing, according to Alain Dubaton? Yeah, that's right. I mean, Alan is one of my um, my favourite uh, authors. He's always yes. got great insights into the world that we live in. And his comment uh, is that he says, you know, one of the most embarrassing difficulties of our age is that we have um, lost this ability to, to concentrate. We've lost the ability to sit still and do nothing other than focus on basic truths of the human condition. Mm. We can't sit down without for, for any length of time without succumbing to this anxious reach. Uh, for a machine, you know, our, our iPhone or our iPad, uh, that um, separation from technology has become almost impossible. And he says there is actually a deeper issue. Yeah, that's right. I mean, he, he says that as the world that we're living in um, is continually telling us that we need um, to be on top of what is new, uh, that there are going to be these, this new information in politics or technology somewhere around the world that if we don't stay on top of, um, will be left behind, um, and it will completely undermine these these fundamental truths that we've been living living by. So um, somehow we've been conned into this uh, idea that we need to be constantly on top of change, knowing what is going on in the world, or we'll simply be left behind. And there's this obsession with news and current affairs. He hones in on that especially. Yeah, he does. You know, the need, um, you know, news just takes these constant cycles. You know, we've got the morning news and we've got the evening news and now on television we've got news at 4pm and midday. And news, um, he contends, and and again, it's interesting, he's he's not a Christian, uh, he's in fact an atheist. He says that news has taken on the cycles that religion once uh, took, that religious life uh, promoted these regular cycles, not of novelty, but of um, reflection, reflecting on deeper, constant truths, um, truths that have you know, stood true throughout the ages. And now, instead of having these regular times of you know, reflection, uh, news, uh, we switch, switch on to uh, each day to see what's changed in the world, what's different, uh, and what, what have I missed out on. And there's this great contrast between the here today and gone the next minute almost news world that we know and the great stable truths of uh, of faith that uh, last over the ages. Well, that's right. Um, and you know, he describes it as this, this culture of novelty that we're living in, where we're always after something new, something different. Uh, but in fact, you know, the, the truth, as he, as he points to, you know, the, the big historical moment in, in Christianity um, was over 2,000 years ago. Uh, and we continue uh, as Christians to live looking back on that time of Jesus dying on the cross. And the next big event will be when Jesus returns. And in the, in the, in the middle time, the time that we're living in now, there's not a lot of change that's, that's going on. We're continuing to share this same message that Jesus died for everyone and he's coming back. Instead, 
you know, the news cycles uh, seek to communicate this, um, this idea that um, something new is always going to happen. Um, and that's the deep contrast, I think, that we uh, are seeing um, and that he thinks is a concern um, for the lives that we're living in. And as a journo, I must say, I'm arrested by this quote from him. He says, News is founded on the unstated assumption that our lives are forever poised on the verge of critical transformation thanks to two forces, and you mentioned them, politics and technology. Mm. Is that true, Val? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, every time you, you know, you're doing the news every morning, yeah. Lee, you know, you, you, you're there sharing with people something new, and we're always wondering, well, what are we going to discover today that is going to completely change um, the reality of the life that we're living in? And so um, um, Alan de Baton kind of keeps pointing us back for the need to do what um, uh, I guess we know deep down, and that is to actually spend time reflecting on what we know to be true and to build in times into our lives where rather than seeking novelty, we seek to be reminded of what we need to be reminded about. We need to, in fact, take on board uh, less information and be more discerning in the information that we actually expose ourselves to. Um, So rather than just kind of opening up the fire hose uh, and drinking from that, maybe we need to have some small glasses of water where the quality of the water is much, much better. Great illustration. For therein lies wisdom. He says we're so swamped by it all, we've actually lost the ability to make sense of any of it. That's right. I mean, we don't know what to do with all this information. There are so many websites and there are so many books and there are so many iPad apps. Which ones are good and which ones aren't and which ones are going to fundamentally change our lives and and which ones aren't? He makes that great observation that um, we've all experienced where you go to a movie and you see in this this movie, it it really impacts you and it changes the way that you think about the world and you think, I'm going to have to go and think about this some more. It's going to change my life. And then 24 hours later, as you've done a thousand other things and watched a thousand other TV shows and read emails and all the rest, you've completely forgotten um, about that, how you were impacted by that movie. And he's not just critiquing the culture, he's always providing a way ahead as well. And it's just basically summed up in one word, diet. That's right. But rather, I mean, we've talked a few times before on, about this, you know, the need to, you know, kind of take a break or switch off technology or turn off your phone for a day, whatever that might look like. He, he goes, I guess, a step further and says that diet isn't just um, on the, the gadgets that we use, um, but also a diet of knowledge and people and ideas. Um, and so uh, restricting um, not just the tools that we use, but um, the people that we relate to, you know, a smaller number of people with deeper relationships. Um, and instead of seeking out new information, why don't we actually go back to quality Um, resources and spend time refreshing ourselves and renewing ourselves with those things for Christians, you know, obviously the Bible, um, making sure that we continue to be reminded about the things that we uh, want to be um, reminded of rather than using that time to seek out new and novel and different. And as if we needed confirmation of this, another sign of our times, it seems more and more Digital Bibles are popping up in pews and pulpits all over the place. Yeah, well, that's right. I mean, we're seeing this. Uh, uh, I see this at my church. You know, people in you know, the, the time for the Bible reading before the sermon, everyone opens up their iPads, their iPhones, and they've launched the Bible on their on their e device. 
and this is becoming more and more commonplace. Preachers are preaching from uh, the iPad. Yep. Uh, it has some real benefits, I think. You know, you've got you know multiple kind of translations um, of the Bible on there. I think it's great. You've got the Bible with you wherever you go. Um, the most popular app for the Bible, the uh, the YouVersion app, earlier this year um, surpassed 50 million downloads. Wow. So. It's, I think it's, it's, on one level, it's a really good thing. People can take the Bible with them wherever they go, and whatever they're doing, they can, they can read it. And as I said, this is happening beyond the church as well? Well, that's right. So there was this interesting story uh, uh, recently where a hotel in, uh, in Newcastle in England um, have replaced the, uh, the hardcover Bibles in the, um, the drawers next to the beds in the hotel with Kindles that had been preloaded with, uh, with Bibles. Uh, and so apparently uh, this hotel chain is going to be rolling out these Kindles with Bibles um, across all their hotels around the world. Uh, again, uh, just showing you know, the, the, the type of uh, time that we're living in uh, and the way that we like, to, we like to read. Mind you, there are still people who'd be saying, oh, I feel closer to the Bible if it's in my hand. I feel closer to God with a printed uh, Bible. We used to have family Bibles. Yeah, that's right. I think I still um, uh, still got some of those um, over at my grandma's house. As she showed me the one that was passed down through through the generations there. I think that's right. I mean, it's, and it's not just Bibles. Um, uh, particularly the the magazine industry um, is seeing. I mean, they're not uh, uh, you know all publishing is struggling to some extent, but they're not doing too badly. And in part because people still want to buy something and have it in their hand. Yes. Um, and there's nothing that replaces still um, the feeling of paper in your hands. And for, some, for people reading the Bible um, in particular, having that right in front of them is still a really valuable exercise. Yeah. The Christian publishing gorilla Zondervan has some really interesting figures on this too. Oh, it's, it's huge. I had no idea. I mean, no. I just discovered this this week. They've got apparently 800 different versions of the Bible. Um, how they get to 800, I've no idea. But they're saying that now they've got um, an additional 80 Bibles uh, that are available on e-devices, your iPads, your Kindles. Um, and this is growing. This uh, number of people who are purchasing these e-Bibles is growing rapidly. So they say that in the last 12 months, the, the sale of digital Bibles has increased uh, fourfold. Uh, so obviously uh, people are, are seeking to, to read the Bible. The, I guess the key point here, though, is that just because you have it, just because you have access to the Bible and we've got access like we've never had before, doesn't mean that people are, are reading it. And you know, again, the, the research that the Bible Society have, have been doing recently is that only two out of ten Australian Christians are actually reading the Bible regularly, um, which is a phenomenally low number. Um, and I guess there's a strange kind of disconnect between how easily we can access the Bible today yeah. yep. and yet how infrequently we can find ourselves reading it. And it's got to be said, no matter what the format, the message stays the same. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's the beauty of it. It doesn't matter what you're reading it on. It's exactly the same message on, on every device or or book. Yeah. Now, here's an interesting take on Facebook. It's, of course, changing lots of things, but even the whole process of dying and grieving. Yeah, this is, a, I guess, um, uh, an interesting topic because we often think of Facebook as uh, a, um, you know, some people consider Facebook to be a pretty mundane kind of medium, people sharing the, the, the relatively boring um, everyday <laughs> details of their life. Yeah. Um, but what we're seeing more and more is Facebook being used as a a platform for people who are dying or have died. So 
a couple of examples. Um, there's a guy called Chris Bates who um, shared, a musician who shared his journey from um, contracting throat cancer to, to dying. Um, and far from mundane, his Facebook posts were pretty moving as he shared the pain and suffering that he was in. And finally, his sister kind of updated the world that he had, that he died. But um, what we're finding in, uh, as people kind of explore how social media and, and, and death connect, is that it's also a helpful process for grieving, um, as families who don't know often many of the friends of the deceased are able to come onto that Facebook page and, and read the stories, you know, of that life well lived, um, and that helps them with the grieving process. Yes. Uh, I guess on the flip side, though, the, the other thing that we're seeing is that some of the norms of uh, dying um, aren't adhered to. Um, and so, you know, while you know, at a wake, at a funeral, people would, you know, no one's going to speak, um, speak ill of the dead, uh, that kind of rule doesn't really apply in social media. And so we're seeing kind of people coming onto that Facebook page and, and making comments that perhaps they wouldn't have said um, face-to-face or... Yes. Uh, at, a, at an ordinary meeting. And, of course, those digital memorials are very much part of life today. They are. And, um, you know, one of the questions is how long should they, should they last for, yes. you know? But uh, um, there is a, a real sense that it, it helps the grieving process for friends and family to come and share their memories, people from around the world, and then look back on this life. OK, so finally, email for TOTS. Yeah, we're, um, a real change in tone for us. Yes. Uh, uh, there's a, a new app that's come out recently called Mailey. It's an app for the iPad, and basically what it seeks to do is introduce uh, kids uh, basically between uh, age four and nine to the concept of email so they can set up a, a contact list um, and they can uh, uh, email um, different people that they, they know. The parents will approve that contact list. The parents can see all the emails that are going back and forth through their own, their own dashboard on that app. Uh, it's very kid-friendly, bright colours. You can add stickers and all the rest of it to your, to your messages. But the goal is to get kids communicating with other people and introduce them to this, this concept of email. Is four too early, do you think, a great guru? Well, it's, look, it, it does sound very young. I think it's, you know, the, the positive is you can start sending your email to, to grandma and grandpa um, who might be on the other side of the world. But let's face it, none of us actually really likes email. It's more of a chore that we kind of tolerate in totally. this age rather than something that we you know, really enjoy and, uh, and get into. So I'm not sure we want to kind of be getting kids into this so early. I think we want to be delaying it as much as possible so they don't have to endure the hardships of email. Yeah, I actually thought like post-Facebook, post-Twitter, email was just so yesterday, last century almost. Well, it is. I mean, the, the, we're discovering more that uh, kind of the younger generations use Facebook messaging to contact one another more than they would use email. So I think email is still you know, it's the primary tool for business communication. Uh, what electronic communication will look like even in you know, five years' time uh, for you know, the, the children today is you know, almost impossible to try and predict. Yes. Steve Kreiger, as always, most absorbing. Great to chat. Thanks so much. Thanks, Lee. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.